0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
2: From the corner, Barry. Rick Barry has not missed a free throw against Washington. Now it is Barry. Back to Clifford Ray. Goes to Rick Barry. Golden State getting that ball moving. Intended for Barry. Barry, look at that pass. Rick Barry, look at that shot, would
1: you? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth!
2: You can't handle the truth. Barry wants to make a got his shot. Hey everybody, Rick Barry here for the Rick Barry Show. I'm joined by my partner in crime. Yes, that's right. Partner in crime, because he's always out there stealing people's stuff off the beach. No, actually, he's the surfer man himself. That's Cyrus Satches. And Cyrus, we have a special guest today. Yes, we do.
1: <laughs> I'm just laughing at that call. I steal stuff off the beach? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well and listen it, you got to be able to yank people's chains i mean life is too short and to, i had a friend of mine bill Selly. i used to play golf with him all the time back when i played with the warriors he was a great golfer he was so freaking serious I said, bill golf is hard enough as it is then they have to come out here and play with you when you're so damn serious so you got to lighten up a little bit you know and people are
1: just
2: so freaking overly sensitive about things these days you can't even have a good I'm laugh not. anymore
1: no, I'm laughing. I'm just curious what I could possibly steal from the beach. I could steal waves from other surfers. But no, 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 no.
2: Surfers. When they're on the beach, people are there, they're leaving their stuff around. You can go pick it up. At least you're not walking around with a metal detector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Cyrus strikes me as a guy who would take somebody's umbrella.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> <know> <laughs> maybe some paraphernalia. No, Cyrus is a guy that's going like to that. be
2: out in the water as long as he possibly can looking for the ultimate wave. True. Right, so just like your son,
1: just like two of your sons. Actually, you have two sons introduce who also surf. Guests.
2: Yeah, I have a couple of boys that like to surf and do stuff. My son Canyon and my son Brent, who actually does a lot of that. So, but uh, let's let's go and let's stop wasting time here and introduce our <laughs> guests and let's talk because <laughs> I don't talk surfing because I can't surf worth a damn.
1: <laughs> well, remind people, Rick, you do have a funny story before we go into basketball about your first time surfing. Oh my was god, in Hawaii,
2: right? It was brutal. I was on Yeah, I was on. I was on my honeymoon and I'm over there and I go out there Hey, let's go surfing so I go out on the board I'm out there doing I'm just killing myself I don't have anything on my chest oh god my breasts they were like raw when I came back in later with paddling out and stuff I'm falling down and the guys and they start laughing I go what are you guys laughing at I said that wasn't funny for me and you know they talk in Hawaiian action and they said hey man he you can't he says bear's too small he said you couldn't surf on that board I said well why didn't you tell me when I was out there instead of waiting till I was done killing myself so i said no more surfing for me
1: yeah he was so see kevin dana is uh he calls the santa cruz warriors games and that's surf city usa in my opinion they got the best waves in all the mainland u.s and uh, i think kevin is familiar with what you suffered that's called nipple chafing rick it's uh you have to wear a rash guard you can't just go out there w- without a shirt on you can Before but nobody
2: told me that
1: <laughs> <laughs> those things are from doing that man it's not fun it is it hurts yeah, anyway. that's for sure.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that's why I, my, my, I sure that my, if my son Canyon had ever gotten a chance to play for those guys there, I'm sure during the offseason stuff, he would have been out there surfing in Santa Cruz.
1: Hell yeah, best waves in the world, or at least here in the U.N. One of the best, one of the places for the best waves in the world, for sure. Uh, well, we're talking Grizzlies and Warriors. Kevin, you, you just, you told us right before we started that you actually watched a replay of the Grizzlies, Timberwolves game six you studied the opponent um yeah what are your thoughts man and obviously I want to hear the Hall of Famers but what are your thoughts man what are you what are you thinking in this series our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information find all of the latest sports developments including updated odds on the NBA playoffs fights and even next season's futures and don't forget that Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. And I want to throw in there as well, the Warriors-Grizzlies line has been released, and the Warriors are favored to win the series, minus 240. And if you want to bet on the Grizzlies stupidly, it's plus 200. Uh, so don't hesitate. Go to betonline.com. They are your source for all your sports gambling information. And it's just a fun, easy way to bet. It's super easy to get started. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code Believe that's BLEAV. To receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, betonline.ag. It's where the game starts.
0: I think this is going
1: to be a going to be a very intriguing
0: series for sure. I mean, Memphis definitely showed some like first-time top seed jitters, especially in game one. Uh, it was closer than the 13-point loss then getting down huge in game three, down pretty big in game five, and down pretty big in game six. But the the common thread in those last three games I mentioned, they won all those games. I mean, they overcame two 25-point deficits in game three, which is pretty tough to do. Um, even though, you know, leads, they, they aren't, you know, a 20-point lead isn't a whole lot in the NBA. But in the playoffs, it, it's a little more sizable. And, and then if you do it twice in a game, that – That's pretty impressive. Obviously, they don't want to get down that much. But, I mean, John Morant, to me, has been one of the five most exciting players to watch in the NBA all year long. Brandon Clark's been really good. Desmond Bain was actually their leading scorer in that playoff series. Desmond Bain has been fantastic for them this year and and as evidenced by John Morant giving him his most improved player trophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got some dudes, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this series plays out.
1: Rick, what are your thoughts, man? I, I look at the I, I look at those blown leads, and, and I don't know if it's more so the Grizzlies having the, the grit, no pun intended, or if it's just the Timberwolves being that bad of a team. Uh, I lean toward the latter. I think the Timberwolves are just not that great of a team. But Rick, you 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 weren't feeling great about the Warriors entering the Nuggets series. And then obviously, and thankfully, they you know they hopefully impressed you. Uh, what are your thoughts, Rick? I mean, you're you're a Hall of Famer, you're you're an expert of the game. What are your thoughts on this series, man, based on what you've seen?
2: Well, as I say, I've never bet a nickel on a basketball game, and I never will. So, I mean, it's crazy to try to figure out what's going to go on in a basketball game or in a series. just too many crazy variables that can take place. But what I was most impressed by by the Grizzlies was that, uh, and and I think Minnesota really blew it by blowing all those leads, and especially a couple of the games at home, Uh, you just can't afford to do that. But I I just like the resilience, especially of Ja. I mean, he was having a horrible game. But when he needed him, he came through, knocks down a big three, and he's not a great shooter. Can you imagine how good a player he's going to become when he learns to shoot? Because you can learn to become a better shooter. Sure. And He should spend the entire offseason working with somebody that's a great shooting coach to get him to improve his three-point shooting or even his mid-range. Oh, my God. He's going to be impossible to defend. It's just, overly, just utterly impossible. But, I mean, he still finds a way to get things done. He makes great moves, goes to the basket, is able to move the ball around and you know, contort his body and finish strong. Uh, I mean, I just I just I love the way that he plays and the fact that he didn't let the bad game he was having impact his willingness to go and take the big shot and make the big play when it had to be done. And that's the sign of a great player. Great players don't get down if things aren't going their way. In fact, if anything, you start to fuel your own fire to get yourself to play at the level that, you know, you're capable of playing. And that probably impressed me more than anything else from uh, what happened with the, with the Grizzlies. Along with the disappointment of uh, of the Timberwolves and, and just kind of falling apart a little bit, I just don't know what the heck they were thinking about some of the stuff that they were doing. <laughs> but uh, the Warriors impressed me. Obviously, uh, I was worried about it, but then when I knew that the two other key players for for Denver were out, uh, I mean, I didn't think that they would lose. Uh, I was disappointed, as we talked about, and I'd like to be able to get your opinion on this thing. Is what 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 they did in game in in game three? They didn't play. That game, They didn't play that game like they had played the previous game or the one game that they played. It was like, what happened to the lineup that was causing so many problems for Denver? All of a sudden, what, did they only play like 10 minutes with that lineup in there? Um, uh, You know, Poole wasn't involved. And where I knew it was great is the Warriors still almost won with, with two of their top three-point shooters having bad shooting games. And they still almost won and probably would have, I think, if Draymond hadn't fouled out of the game with – Yeah. Well, for a veteran, the silly foul he picked up, you don't swipe. When you have five fouls, you don't swipe at anything. I mean, you put your hands in your damn jock. I mean, of course, they don't wear jocks anymore. Put your hands in your pockets or inside your shorts, but you don't swipe and do anything when you have five fouls, especially him because he's such a valuable asset for that team. You just can't afford to have him going to the bench. So it's going to be interesting to see see what happens coming up in the next series. Uh, I don't think the Warriors will – give the gifts that were given to uh, the Grizzlies by Minnesota, they're not going to allow that to happen. If they got those big leads, they're not going to blow big leads like that. I mean, Memphis would be in big trouble. Memphis has to elevate the play of their, their their play for a more consistent game in order to beat the Warriors. I really do believe that. And the only reason they caught and went past the Warriors is the Warriors went through a time when they were really struggling, but they seem to have, have resurrected things and, you know, the old, ship was bailing you know they're bailing out a lot they got a lot of water out of that sinking ship and now they're back floating again so it's going to be fun to see what happens
1: kevin what are your thoughts but I, I, here's a, here's a question for both of you there's i have a lot of questions about this series and and, and rick you were talking about the game for loss the warriors suffered uh where you're right they, the, the the warriors new big three at least in terms of offense uh the splash party as i'm calling it right now they they, they didn't play much gary payton the second only played six minutes and change in that game Still curious about what happened with Bielitza in terms of the rotation because in games one through three, he was solid. I mean, he was actually giving them productive minutes. Um, but Ke- Kevin, in your opinion, who's and Rick as well, uh, who's starting this game for the Warriors? Um, that was a huge question for them in game five. They ultimately went with uh, you know, the three-guard uh trio, and then they they added Wiggins and Draymond for the starting five, but it's a different opponent, obviously, right? I mean, you don't have a Jokic to deal with. Uh, so, are we going back to the traditional starting five? Some people are talking about Gary Payton the second starting because he's in limited amount of minutes this season. He was effective guarding John Morant. Uh, Kevin, who do you think is starting, and who do you want to start? Do those align? Oh
0: yeah, I so I I've my guess, and I, I don't know. I mean, my guess is they would roll out the game five starting lineup against Denver. Uh, potentially just because I I, I was just reading kind of the athletic uh, preview of this from Anthony Slater. And and I do tend to agree like the, the bigs could get played out of this series pretty quickly. If everyone wants to go kind of switch heavy and and just kind of have more athleticism shooting on the floor, like Looney's going to be needed for, for some minutes, but if, if Steven, Steven Adams is in health and safety protocols right now. So that's kind of the guy he would best match up against. So I think you could kind of go with that Draymond, Poole, Steph, Clay, Wiggins lineup, and then it's Draymond guarding Jaron Jackson Jr., who's a very good player, but he's not going to give the body blows that Nikola Jokic gave Draymond. So I think that's a more sustainable lineup. The the only problem you you worry about, and obviously – during the regular season, Stephen Adams was a big part of that, but Memphis led the league in offensive rebounding percentage and the, in that starting five that I mentioned for golden state against Denver had a defensive rebounding percentage below 70%, which is not good. Uh, They would given up like the fifth worst offensive rebounding rate uh, for the regular season. So, I mean, that's a small sample size. I do think that's the lineup they would go with. And I'm not taking Jordan Poole out of the starting lineup uh, just because he had a couple of off shooting games. I thought like right. his highlights, though they were very, they were fewer and further between in game five, still showed that, all right, he, like when he was going in game five, it looked really good. It's just that he wasn't going for that long, in large part due to the foul trouble that he had in that game with the five fouls. Um, I, I love Gary Payton the second. I, his numbers against John Morant this year were tremendous. Yeah. Um, I think he is fantastic guy to to, to bring in and, and really pester Ja. Now, if, if that happens at the beginning of the game, I'm definitely not opposed to that. I, I, I just think you probably roll with the starting five that won you the series against Denver. Yeah. Rick,
1: what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I would agree, and I apologize because I said Dana because the people call me sometimes Barry instead of Rick, so I called you by it's your obvious. last name earlier. But it's okay as long, hey, as long as they're talking to you, that's all that matters. Um, <laughs> the big thing is, is that I, I would agree. I, here's the thing: you don't change what's working unless you have to, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like the old cliche that they said, "Let sleeping dogs you know lay." I mean, don't bother, mm-hmm. leave them alone. Make changes when you have to. Don't make changes just to make changes to see how it might work. Because what happens if you go with what you think, you know, if you go ahead and you make a change, you do it, it doesn't work. It doesn't necessarily mean that what you would have done in the first place may work for you. Whereas if you do what you have confidence in that doesn't work, you can always make slight changes. I do agree that the that, that, that junior will probably come in some. I mean, mainly because of his defense and to just mm-hmm. put more pressure, make, you know, Jaw have to work a lot harder. Um, and that's going to be an important element. But I think the big thing there is if I'm playing Jaw, I, I have to insult him. It's kind of like what you would play against, you know, a great player when I played. You do stuff if he wasn't a great scorer. You you play him, you overplay you over but Ja's got the ball in his hands, obviously. But you give him all kinds of room. If you want to beat us, Ja, beat us with your three points. Bring this with your outside shooting. I don't want you going to the basket and doing all that crazy stuff you do. Yes and picking to people to get all these easy wide open threes for everybody else. I you make Ja Morant. you insult him. And make him beat you from the perimeter. And see, as a Coach, I could live with John Moran beating me from the perimeter. I can't live with John Moran beat me by penetration.
1: That's fair. I agree with you. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And and, and uh, the Warriors' Twitter, uh, the Warriors, I'm sorry, Reddit account on Twitter uh, at GSW Reddit posted this stat line in in the 16 minutes and change that Gary Payton the second guarded John Moran. He held him to two for 12 shooting. That's remarkable. Sixteen point seven percent, zero for three from the three point line. Gary Payne the second has just really emerged as as uh, just as a player on this team. His value. Well, he a big just, three
2: too in the last game. That was a yes, huge three he did. he had knocked down. And you see yes, his you dad. Did. I was so fortunate to see Gary up there because uh, I know what was that like when my son Scooter made that freaking free throw to go ahead and win the Oklahoma in the NCAA tournament to put him ahead. I mean, I know how excited I got. In fact, I use it as an intro video when I do speeches and stuff showing me oh. the same route for him. So I know how how proud Gary was to see his son, you know, knock, and, knock down that huge shot for them at that time.
1: Uh, proud papa, absolutely. Uh, I, wish, I wish I understood that. Kevin, you don't have kids, do you? I never asked you about your family life. Like, are
2: you a –
0: I, well, no, like I you. have a cat. That is uh, <laughs> that is my only offspring. Well, the good thing about there you cat, go.
2: Is the cat doesn't care about you, so you don't have to worry about him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy cut to take care of.
1: You know, one thing that's, that stuck out to me from the four regular season matchups, uh, and I think, Kevin, you, uh, you mentioned this a moment ago. By the way, Kevin, I want to add, Rick, the last time we had Kevin Dana on the Rick Barry show, you're the one who pronounced it Dana. I was going to jump in and call you Kevin Dana and it was Rick who with Dan on. Just roll with it and it turns out you're record last time. So stick with what you know, right? Go with your instincts. You were that correct the first just, time. That was just what they call crap house luck. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but here's the thing. From the four matchups I, I remember uh, uh, between the two teams, what stuck out to me, and Kevin, you brought this up, is the offensive rebounding. To me, offensive rebounds can kill the momentum, can kill – just you're the confidence of a team when you're seeing the opposition getting the ball back time and time and again after you're putting all this energy and effort into stopping them, only for them to be rewarded with a second and possible third chance. And Rick, I'll start with you just because, again, you're one of the greatest to have ever played this game. Uh, how do you stop offensive rebounding when you're getting killed in that regard? They were beaten. Well, in the, the, in that in the as
2: well as screening off the boards and taking responsibility for the guy that you're guarding. I mean, when the shot goes up, put it, I mean, even if you face guard him, just stop the guy from going to the dang basket. If the ball hits you in the back of the head, chances are one of your teammates will get it. Don't let him go to the basket. I mean, that's a simple thing. And what happens is, is that here's the, here's what's happened. The players are so incredibly athletic. In fact, actually, I wish when I talked to my son Canyon, he's so great at doing this. I said, son, You don't need to go out and screen your guy when he's 25 feet from the basket when the shot goes up. Use your athleticism to go in and go get a rebound and take it up the floor. But he's so ingrained with fundamentally sound concepts go and screen your guy off because if everybody screens your guy off the ideal thing I remember growing up was told the ball should be able to bounce on the floor and you can go pick it up because everybody screened their man off the boards well it doesn't happen what happens is a guy he's with this man and he leaves to go and he's athletic and I try to tell my players when I coach they say look I know you're a great rebounder and you know a great re- athletic person. You go and you can jump. I said, but maybe the guy you're guarding can jump a half inch higher than you. And if you give him a running start, he's liable to get a finger on a ball and he's liable to keep it alive and cause a problem for you. But if you just even just put the slightest little bit of pressure on him a little bit of body motion a little bit of arm and then release he's not going to be as effective you have to screen off the boards and that's what kills you and boy i mean that's that's what killed minnesota i mean killed minnesota i mean god almighty but i'll tell you the guy the clark guy holy smokes yeah. this guy have a feel for the basketball or what yeah. i mean it's like he's got a magnet every time you see the ball going he's showing up getting a hand on it blocking the shot he was really impressive I mean, yeah. I'm looking at that guy. Can you imagine this guy on the Warriors team? Oh don't get me started God. on that, Rick. Don't
1: don't I don't, don't, that pisses I mean, me Mike, off? I'm, I'm is...
2: serious. I was so impressed with his performance and the way he plays. He's just one of those guys that has a nose for the basketball, and it's like he's always there. Wow, what an impressive performance. They keep talking about John, this and there. That's the guy that impressed the hell out of me. And that's I
1: agree. I agree. And I'm going to ask, and Kevin, I'll start with you. How do you and, and, and add, add anything for the offensive rebounding question? Because I do feel like that could be a huge difference in the series is how effectively the warriors box out and screen their man and get those damn rebounds because that could kill them. Uh, Kevin, what what you call Santa Cruz warriors games. If anything, I feel like there's almost more of a fundamental aspect to the game at, at the G league versus the NBA. Um, what, what can the warriors do if anything to, to reduce the offensive rebounds and it, this Brandon Clark guy, man, I mean, it's his third year. You're right, Rick. He's He looks incredible. I wish the Warriors had a guy like him. Um, but what can the Warriors do, Kevin, in your opinion? Well, well, to Rick's point about Brandon's offensive
0: rebounding, he's second in the NBA playoffs in offensive rebounds. He's getting almost 4 boards a game, which, which is huge. And obviously, if Golden State is going to go small – like, they're going to need the kind of rebounding that they got from Andrew Wiggins in, like, the first three or four games of the Denver series. He upped his rebounding uh, average, pr- like, pretty significantly from from four to – it was, like, four and change to six and change, which, you know, at that number is a pretty sizable jump. And then Klay Thompson had nine rebounds in mm-hmm. game five. So it's going to need to be a gang rebounding kind of thing. And that that's one of the good things about Stephen Curry that, you know – gets mentioned but doesn't get mentioned as much as his shooting and his ability to to dish out the basketball. You know, he averages five rebounds a game pretty regularly throughout the course of a regular season uh throughout the course of his career, especially the last few years. So, I mean, you have Draymond, you're going to have Looney for a few minutes. He's a good rebounder when he's in there. You figure he gets 12 minutes a game and and then outside of that, it, it's going to be everyone pitching in that's why Otto porter jr is going to have to have a big series as well his shot is compl- has not really been there recently he only hit a couple of threes against the denver nuggets in that five game series but he can get some big time rebounds for this team and he's going to need to get a lot of rebounds especially kind of in clutch time that's where i feel like he rebounds best and they're going to need a lot out of him in that department
2: I, I would I totally. with all of that. I, I I think that's true. And Poole has to go ahead and focus on trying to yeah. do that, be a part of it, because he's athletic enough to do it. Yeah. You know, screen the man, you know, put a little body on it, then go release and go get it. But it, the priority has to be playing tough defense, which I was happy to see they finally got back to doing. Oh, my God, during that stretch when they were going down, their defense was horrendous. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, so they just have to focus on that and play defense the way they were playing at the start of the season when it was just fun to watch them. I mean, the rotations they had, the switches they were doing, it was it was like a different team late in the season. That's why I was worried going into the playoffs. I said, what the hell happened to their defense? And all <laughs> of a sudden, that sort of resurrected as well. So, you know, that's a good thing. I, I have something to ask you, Kevin, that I got to get your thoughts on it because I told yep. people, and Cyrus and I have talked about this, I thought the best thing that happened to Jordan Poole was getting sent down to the G League. For him to understand and have a reality check that, hey, buddy, you know, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be here. You're going to be good because I was not high on him. He was taking some of the most God awful shots. I didn't like the way he was playing, to be honest with you at all. And I'm saying, oh, my heavens, what's the deal here? Because I hadn't really seen him because I'm not scouting and watching all the time when he came out. And to his credit, he didn't let him get it down. He used it and he came back. A better player, and he's turned himself into an outstanding player right now. You saw him firsthand. Your evaluation of what happened.
0: Yeah, well, I, I thought what the the assignment to the G League, especially in his second season, because in his rookie season, he did play three games in the G League, but that, that was a, a small sample size. He played 11 games in the G League bubble for Santa Cruz last year. And what it allowed him to do was kind of play through his mistakes and kind of see the professional game slow down for him a little bit. Because, uh, you know, his first couple of years, and we kind of saw it in, in games four and five where it felt like the game sped up for him. Uh, The game was really moving at a fast pace for him. This was a guy um, who, you know, his numbers, to your point, Rick, were not good for the vast majority of his rookie year. Uh, Some of the advanced metrics had him as kind of one of of the worst rotation players in the NBA in 2019-20. But in, in, in the 2021 season, he really got to kind of, like I said, play through his mistakes. And he made a significant amount of mistakes in the G League. Like he was second in turnovers in the G League last wow. year but he was also really really good when he wasn't turning the ball over it, He he's a hot and cold kind of guy and he especially was last year and I think every team kind of needs like a guy who can who can really get on a heater and you just kind of have to live with some of the mistakes he makes that was kind of the, where he was at but it, it just allowed him to kind of get a feel more for the pro game so you know, he he was a garbage time killer for much of his second season before the G League bubble. And then once he came back, once he had kind of more professional reps as being like a, a key rotation guy, it really did kind of allow him to take off. He was able to work out some of those mistakes. And, and this year, he went from four and a half turnovers in the G League per game last year to two and a half turnovers per game in the NBA this year. And so, all right, maybe he's not handling the ball as much and, and he played – like three fewer minutes in, in the NBA as opposed to the G League last year per game, but he, he he still wasn't just a stand in the corner guy. He was still handing the ball a decent bit, and he was making better decisions with it.
2: That's yeah, fair. I was, I was happy to see. I was happy to see that. I, I give him all the credit in the world for not getting down on himself and if anything else he gained more confidence in himself and he was smart enough to learn from the mistakes that he was making and he's he's become a much better basketball player as a result of it and thankfully because had he not done that the Warriors might not have even been in the playoffs
1: yeah that's fair that is fair in your opinion gentlemen why do you think Poole struggled in games four and five he shot for three for ten from the field in both those games uh, just, you know, by his standards. And I think by most standards, it wasn't great. It might've been okay, depending on your definitions. Uh, Hall of Famer,
2: I will start with you, sir.
1: Why do you think uh, Jordan Poole struggled? What happened there in your, in your opinion?
2: Well, I don't think it was involved in the offense as much. That's what I was kind of understanding. So, you know, why would you not want to have him get a little bit more involved in the offense? Because, you know, Clay was going really good in one of those games. And so it's kind of hard to not put the ball in Clay's hands if he's going sure. good. That would be pretty foolish to do that. And uh, and I just think he got out of rhythm a little bit. And here's what happens when you're not involved a lot: is you tend to say, "Jesus, I got to get a shot up," and so you wind up again getting back to taking bad shots. You're and so fortunate. you just kind of yeah, you fall into into the problem that Westbrook had for so many seasons and going and not letting the game come to you, and trying to force things, trying to make things happen. And so you just have to understand that, especially on the Warriors team. If you're smart enough to understand the game and you're willing to work hard and move without the ball, you can create a lot of opportunities for yourself. And it's the same way I try to tell people all the time when I broadcast, when I coached. Basketball is not a spectator game for the participants. On defense, you always hear, when the ball moves, you move. Your man moves, you move. It's it's that type of relationship. It's the same on offense. But mm-hmm. yet when guys get going offensively, they stand and watch their teammate. No, you need to be moving. Because if your teammate, especially with a guy like Steph who can penetrate, and if you're really smart, you move and create a passing angle for him. If your guy turns his head and stuff and move, put yourself in a position to receive the pass to get yourself a wide open shot. And – when the warriors are at their best, they're doing that. When they get in troubles, when they become spectators and stand and watch Steph doing what he's doing, that's not the way you play the game to maximize the opportunities that present themselves. That's
1: fair, Kevin. Your thoughts? What did what what happened with Pool there in games four and five?
0: Yeah, I, I think one thing to add is that Aaron Gordon started defending him in game four, and so that's a guy who's got you know. A lot of muscle on him and four inches or so. And so they were getting a little more physical with him. And then, you know, if he's feeling the defense a little more, it's going to make him a little more uncomfortable out there. So I, I definitely think that played a role. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Memphis decides to guard him. If Desmond Baines, a guy who can – you know, really play physical defense or Dylan Brooks, are those going to be the guys they, they put on him. And then it's going to be on Jordan to kind of uh, adjust to, to that more physical defense that, that the Grizzlies are going to play because they are physical. They are going to go after steals. They average almost 10 steals per game in the regular season. They're going to turn you over a, a decent bit. They turned over teams like 15 times a game this year. So they're, they're going to try to, you know, get up in your shorts and, and Jordan can handle that uh, for sure. Uh, it, we'll we'll see if he's able to make the adjustments for well, but game today, four but fun. you
2: bring the, a great point up there uh, you know Kevin because that's the time that you want to move even more. Yes. when you have that's, that's the time that the movement without the ball is so critical because he can't be physical with you if you're moving and you're catching the ball on the move. It's when you're just going and catching it and you're stationary. Now he's got a chance to come up and use his physicality on you a little bit. You have to be more active when you play against a player who's a physical player like Gordon was in that series.
0: Yeah, and, and not- I think – Uh, Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I think that's one thing that Jordan did really well at the end of the regular season. Like when Steph Curry was out, Draymond Green found that, oh, he could kind of use Jordan Poole in the Steph Curry vein, not saying he is Steph Curry, but like Jordan's off the ball movement was great during the last month plus of the regular season. And they were using kind of some of that Steph Curry action with Jordan Poole when Steph was out. And and so if if he can kind of get back to that uh, moving Really well without the basketball, to your point. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Rick.
2: All he has to do is he loves, he watches, he's got him watching, he's watching him all the time, and he's learning from Steph Curry. Who yeah. moves without the ball? Like, yeah, I mean, Steph is awesome doing that. If he doesn't have it in his hands and he is so creative, and he that's his, the differentiator is that Steph has the ability to create a shot a lot better than Jordan does, or so Jordan's getting better at it. But my God, just you know, mimic what Steph's doing, how he moves without the basketball. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just beautiful. I love watching that. And I love guys who move and play really intelligent basketball and play the game the way it was meant to be played. Because the more you're moving, the more decisions people have to make, especially if you're running off of some of your teammates, you know, are they going to switch? Are they not going to switch? That's why the Warriors went on that five year stretch where they were so good. And the only time they ever got in trouble, and I talk about all the time when, K- when KD joined them, is that they relied on KD a lot of times too much because yeah. he was so good. And I think they weren't at their best. If he was making shots, great. But if not, I think that's when they got in trouble sometime. But when you were making those four or five passes, moving, cutting, back cutting, that's the kind of basketball that the Warriors need to play against Memphis to cause some problems for them, I think.
1: Yeah, and and Kevin, you brought up game four. uh, You brought up the Aaron Gordon matchup causing some problems. And and what about game five, though? Aaron Gordon was matched up much more with Steph. Uh, What do you think Poole struggled in game five? Like, was the moment too big? I mean, he is a very young player, and and that is understandable. Um, If, you know, that was just about as high pressure of a moment as you're going to get. We we heard attributions from Stephen Curry and Steve Kerr talking about, you know, the difficulties of closing out the Nuggets. It had been three-plus years since they'd had to deal with that. Uh, uh, kind of situation uh, what happened in game five what do you what are your opinions of, of pool struggles and do you think he can regain those the 20 plus uh, point scoring nights that we were accustomed to for the last quarter of the season
0: yeah I mean I have 1000 percent believe he's got more 20 point playoff games in him this postseason uh, I, I don't think it was a matter of him shrinking from the stage at all um, I do think that a kind of the whole team kind of came out. I'm not sure if malaise would be the right word, but like they even admitted it post-game, kind of like it had been a while since they had been in kind of this closeout game at home right. situation, it had been three years, and I, it kind of looked like the whole team was kind of dealing like that. I mean, you know, they're they're down 78-70 after 36 minutes in that game. And so right. they obviously weren't at their peak. I, I do also think the foul trouble hampered him a little bit. Uh, he I, I think that was the game he had 5,000 so correct. Uh, it, correct. it just it just wasn't it just wasn't his game. Uh, and it wasn't most of their games offensively until True. they dropped 32 on the fourth quarter. So I True. do expect a bounce back at, at some point from Jordan pool. I I wouldn't be worried with it with a two ga- two games in a row sample size even though that's kind of like the, his worst stretch of basketball in months. But yeah hey, it's, it's hey, let's, let's, get back.
2: let's get back to reality here this happened okay. okay yeah so remember right. when kd was here remember one of the i think it was like before the guys both got hurt the season before clay was nowhere to be freaking found in the first two series <laughs> i don't know what happened remember that and they swept it's both terrible. of them why yeah. because kd and steph were on their games they didn't even need clay if they had gotten clay they would have killed people i mean yeah. he, so if clay thompson one of the greatest shooters and one of the, you know, a great player who will be in the hall of fame can have a couple of back-to-back games. Let's cut a little slack for Jordan Poole.
1: Yeah. Fair. Yeah, exactly. Very fair. I, I express it more as concern. I just, I just, I feel like the warriors need that version of Jordan Poole in this series against what I think is a much tougher opponent. Rick, uh, you know, I, I don't think Kevin and I are ever going to fully understand the perspective of an NBA player in a closeout game. What makes, I've heard many people say it's the hardest game to win what makes a closeout game so difficult uh from the player's perspective
2: do you hear players ever talking about that too much no but it's the broadcasters you're talking about it's a (laughs) game I'm going out and playing a game. What difference does it make? Like the same thing. What's the difference in the shot I take in the first five seconds of a game or the shot I take in the last five seconds? The fact that the score was zero zero as opposed to we're down by one with five seconds to go. You don't think about that. I'm taking a freaking shot. So what difference does it make what the situation is? Yes, there's more expectations. There's more on the line. But it's still a freaking shot that you've taken thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And so you have to have confidence in yourself. And that's the thing I mentioned earlier about John. He obviously has great confidence in himself. This is what Jordan's gotten to the point that he's getting more confidence in himself. You don't think that Steph and Clay think they're going to make every shot they take? I mean, you can even watch Steph when he does it. You can see he's mad at himself for having missed a shot that he expected to make. The same with Clay. It's about gaining confidence in yourself in your abilities of what it is you're being asked to do. And the circumstances are there. That's why I go nuts when I hear these announcers all the time. Oh, the pressure's really on. There is no pressure when you have confidence. <laughs> you live for those moments. You know, I told people if I could play every game of my career and could control it and go back in time, I would want every game I played and to come down to the last 10 seconds, game on the line, I want the ball in my hands.
1: But Rick, is it fair that not every player has your mental strength? I mean, you're one of the greatest. ever.
2: most players don't. So that's the difference. (laughs) So
1: that's what I'm saying. So did you not have teammates who maybe you know felt differently in those big moments and maybe like relied on you? Like that's why you're asking
2: the wrong guy to answer that question. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I broadcast when I was doing my broadcasting during my career and even mostly afterwards. I would do games. And it's, it was incredible. You could watch and see guys that never, they did not want the ball. You could tell right. they did not want the ball. Right. Because they didn't have confidence in themselves. And for them, it probably was a pressure situation. And if it's <laughs> pressure, you're going to choke like a dog
1: if the pressure is on. All right. So, Kevin, my lesson learned there was next time, ask that question to the 12th man on the bench, not yeah. the, not a future – or not a future – current Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever. Uh, with, You know, the one stat, and I can't find a, an accurate, I've actually tried to spend about 15 minutes trying to find an accurate figure on this, and I, and I get different numbers depending on the source. Hoop-social.com, I'm going to go from, off them. They claim that the Grizzlies have the second tallest team in the NBA behind just the Dallas Mavericks, and that Mavericks number is probably based largely on uh, on Porzingis when he was there. The Warriors, meanwhile, are either tied for 12th or somewhere in the 15-16 range, depending on who you're looking up at, uh, what source you're looking at in terms of their height. But my point is, and what I'm leading to is, uh, the Grizzlies are a taller team. Uh, how is that going to play into this? Rick, you and I were complaining back in August that this Warriors team is not a big team and that could have a, a negative detriment uh, on this roster. How is that going to play?
2: Only if you let them play. Okay. They're inside slow down game to take in hammer. You want to play this game. I mean, I know yes. John ja loves that game and it's fine and they got players who can play that, but that's the warriors best game. You could, you, here's the thing it's because if you have smart players, so many things present themselves to you. And if you're intelligent and you're forcing teams to make decisions, you're going to get all kinds of easy opportunities. And it's more fun to play that way. It's more fun as a fan to watch a team play that way. And the warriors need to do that because then size doesn't become a factor. A lot of times in practices, you would have the bigs against the smalls. And the biggest thing is the smalls go, 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 move. The big guys aren't going to be as good at that game. I'm sorry. They're just not. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, your thoughts
1: on the height difference? What, what, how much of an impact are we going to so see?
0: My, my first question, that, that statistic to read, is, is that for the regulars for all 30 teams or just the 16 playoff teams?
1: All 30. All 30. Okay.
0: Okay. Because uh, actually like twelve seems kind of high for Golden State. And, but Tied I, for
1: 12th, though. Tied for 12th with, out like, Out of 30 uh,
0: teams. Like, that... Yeah, I, I wouldn't have expected them. That's an interesting stat to me. I wouldn't have expected them to be top half. Well, I guess... Agreed. You Leisman,
1: agreed. Well, and but then of, another website, there's, like, one website called hispanosnba.com. It's weird, man. It was actually not an easy thing to track. Um, okay. And they have the Warriors listed as 16th out of 30. Well, here's um, the thing.
2: Are they counting the 15-man roster? Yes. Or are they counting the eight or nine guys that play?
1: Fifteen. Oh, okay. yeah, the 15. Okay. Yeah,
2: see, it, it, that, distorts, that distorts everything because a lot of teams got a lot of seven-footers sitting on the bench, and the Warriors don't have that either. So if you just take the top, let's say, nine guys, that because the majority of teams play with eight, nine guys, very few go deeper, but even if you just took the top ten, I would think the Warriors, I would agree with Kevin, I think they would be a little lower. Lower, that. yeah, no, I'm yeah. with you. I'm
1: with you. It might be taking Wiseman into account who hasn't played a minute all year. Yeah, so, And also for Memphis, like, all right, Steven Adams is in health and
0: safety protocols right now. And Santi Aldama six eleven, who who is not in their rotation right now. So right. I think that does skew it a little bit. I, I do like Santi Aldama for future years. I saw him a lot in the G League this year. But, yeah, I mean, to Rick's point, I agree with Rick. Like, Golden State is at their best when they're doing this, when they're playing up and down. That's what they want to do, like, in all their playoff years under Steve Kerr, they are at their best when Draymond Green is playing center. And and so, and they've already, from the center perspective, I don't, it's not going to be tougher than guarding Nikola Jokic. And and so like Jaron Jackson is kind of more uh, kind of, more amenable to that game as well from the Memphis perspective. So that does kind of play into Golden State's hands a little bit, even though, you know, Jackson did lead the NBA and block shots this year and he is an interior presence. Uh, I I think, yeah, you just kind of play to your strengths and and try to not get bogged down in a pounded down low kind of game.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, let's face it. Memphis does not have anybody like Jokic. The Joker, there isn't anybody like the Joker in the game today. Okay. And so, he creates so many problems, and so many issues. It's just, it's insane. And I, and I told you before Cyrus, we were talking to Kevin. You didn't hear me say about it. I would have just played him straight up. Mm-hmm. I, don't double him. He's too good at getting the ball to people. How many open shots did he create when they come and double him? He's just so good with the basketball and has such great court vision for a big guy. And makes some just amazing passes. He's probably as good a passing big man as there's ever been in the game of basketball. That's how good yeah. he is. I mean, you know, Bill Walton was unbelievable as well. And some other guys could do a Kareem, do, but nobody liked the Joker. I mean, he's throwing passes that point guards wish they could throw. I mean, he's pretty amazing. Now, sometimes I do think that he was trying to throw passes. Even my wife, who was an All-American basketball player, ran USA basketball for women. She's going, why did he make that pass? And the guy was like two feet away from him in traffic. And he's trying to make some crazy pass. when he probably should have shot the ball. But the guy's amazing. And to not have to contend with that, it's going to make the defense for the Warriors, I think, be much more effective and efficient against against this other team. Against, Let's the hope. Team. yeah, Let's I,
0: hope. I, I also agree with Rick on like just like mathematically speaking, if Nikola Jokic goes for forty two point like forty two points and two assists, it's better than him going for thirty points and twelve
1: assists. Exactly.
2: You know, exactly. here's that my other thing. My, my other point is is that having played and when I coached is what I did, I would stay one-on-one. As long as we're in the game, I'm going to just keep doing that, keep doing that, try to keep these other guys from getting the easy shots. Then if the game's close, now all of a sudden I'm going to throw people at him coming from different directions and unexpected because all you need then is to get him to make one mistake late in the game. And that could be the difference in the ball game, but he's not used to the guys coming. But if you're doing it right away, he's accustomed to doing it. It becomes second nature for him. I would rather go the way that we're talking about. Let him get 40 and beat him and get two assists than get 25 or 30 and have double-digit assists. Yeah. I'm
1: with yeah. both of you on that. I'm totally with. Uh, I, let's save the predictions for the end of the show. I quickly want to uh, shift gears to the rest of the NBA. Uh, first question for both of you. Uh, we, we don't know who MVP is yet. Um,
2: in your minds, Rick, I'll start with you. Who should be MVP this year? Well, you know my feelings on this, Cyrus. We've done this enough. It is absolutely ludicrous to have MVP – of a full season in the NBA with a schedule that has teams not playing an equal schedule. There should be an MVP for the Eastern conference. There should be an MVP for the Western conference. And then you should also have another award, which is the most outstanding player because the most valuable player isn't necessarily the most outstanding player. True. Why the NBA doesn't do that. I've talked to both commissioners about it and they just ignore me like they do anytime. I talk to them. <laughs> And it, it, I mean, seriously, I mean, from a, from a business standpoint, you get three more sponsors, you get another MVP yeah. sponsor, and you get two most outstanding sponsors. That's more money into the freaking coffers for you, and it and it really is justifiable, because again, I you know most outstanding isn't necessarily the most valuable player. Well, I mean, who would you be who, times, who would be your All-Star most games? But now, see, they only need an All Star game because it's not a game anymore; it's an exhibition, so that's a joke. Right. But like I said, when I got MVP at the sixty seven All Star game in San Francisco. My teammate was Nate Thurman playing against the front line of Will Chamberlain, Jerry Lucas and, and Bill Russell. Right. And, and it was, I think Elgin Baylor, myself and, and Nate. Well, Nate had an unbelievable game. I think for our game, there, doing in that. I think that Nate for our team was the most valuable player. I was the most outstanding player having gotten 38 points. And that would have been justifiable to give those two mm-hmm. awards out to each one of us. And if you look at most games and, and, and look at the regular season, I bet you both of you right now, Kevin, I bet you, you could figure a guy that maybe was the most outstanding player in each conference and a guy who was more valuable. All right, yeah. well, let's go. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Kevin.
0: Go. Oh no, I mean, I, it's, I hadn't thought of it like that before, but your, your rationale definitely makes sense. I, I just hadn't, I hadn't conceptualized it that way.
1: Well, Rick, then going by your standards, uh, who should be MVP of each conference and who is your most outstanding
2: player this year? Well, I don't care. <laughs> 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 I'm You're not. I really, I really don't care. You, I All you I care you. about was give me my ring. I want to win. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Like even on our team, I tell everybody the most important player on our championship team was not me. It was Clifford Ray. If there was a most outstanding player for the Golden State Warriors championship season, it should have been Clifford Ray. I might have, I might have been most maybe I would have been the most outstanding player, but he would have been the most valuable player to our team without question. Kevin, who do you who choose your pick?
0: Uh, it's Jokic for me because without Porter Is that and MVP. Murray,
2: you're going with MVP for
0: Jokic, MVP for Jokic, yeah. Yeah. just because I would say,
2: so that team, that team with the guys they had out and stuff and they were able to do what they did. Yeah. I mean, without him, they would have been in the toilet. <laughs>
0: yeah. They, they, they were, they would be like a top 10 lottery team. They, they would be picking like seventh or eighth this year. I think if it wasn't for Nikola Jokic, like, and like the, You know, people can say uh, Joel Embiid or Giannis, like, their team was a higher seed. But, like, they only won three more games. Like, those teams won, like, 51, 52 games. And and the Nuggets were 48 and 34. And they also went 31 and 15 down the stretch. So, like, in the crunch time of the regular season, uh, Jokic was more valuable to winning. uh, And I I think the numbers. Okay, so let's get to my premise.
2: So we give the Joker Western Conference, Eastern Conference. Who do you pick?
0: I I would go with Joel Embiid just with with the roster upheaval that they had this year, like the big trade, um, and and they also kind of got off to a slow start with some injuries, and, and then when Embiid was cooking, I, I would give it to Embiid this year. Okay, so
2: uh, most outstanding player in each conference, then most
0: outstanding player in each conference.
2: Ooh. The East would be East is going to be tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I I, I would still like. I would still give in the West to Jokic. I mean, I I just think he was
1: incredibly outstanding.
0: They're just well, top ten
1: in all three major categories. That alone, yeah. I think, that was the first time ever uh, anyone's done that. So, that's yeah, yeah, outstanding.
2: Well, yeah. What about the Eastern Conference. Now, this is the one I want to hear: is the Eastern Conference. There's a, there's some pretty darn exciting, some pretty darn good guys that were playing there. Yeah, I mean, of, like, the, heck the Warriors are going to be facing one of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like Embiid, Giannis. DeMar DeRozan, with how he was able to lead the Chicago Bulls this year. And he had like a stretch where it was like he was 30 plus and at least 50% or better from the field for, I, it was double digit games. I forget how many games it was, but you want to talk about outstanding. That's outstanding production.
2: Right. Here you so, go. So, and is um, so the NBA's missing the boat, man. They're missing out on a whole bunch of other sponsor money. I'm telling you, they're crazy. And, and they're more players. For their performances.
1: They are crazy. Yeah. No, they are absolutely crazy. Uh, uh, uh my MVP personally would have been Giannis, but uh just because I, I really think you can make the same argument for how he affects his team as Jokic. Without Giannis, the yeah. Bucks are a lottery team. Um, and his numbers are just astronomical, they're impressive. What's what's gonna happen in the Bucks Celtic series? Who wins that series? Rick, I'll start with you, sir.
2: Wow. I mean, so you know me when it comes to predictions. I mean, that's, I don't, I, I have no idea how to say, say it's, it, here's the deal. Boston's playing exceptionally well right now. They got a lot of confidence. They're playing really well. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what Middleton being out, what that impact is going to have on the, on the bucks. Uh, that'll be interesting to see, uh, but they are the defending champions. And so until you beat them, they're the team you have to beat. Uh, I really mm-hmm. do believe that. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be one of the most competitive series. I would be shocked if it goes anything less than six or seven games. Totally shocked. Um, it's going to be a real, a real battle. Um, I, I think for them to win, Giannis has got to stop worrying about shooting three-point shots. I mean, mm. God, I mean, even the even the Joker laid off him because he was realized he got in a big funk. I guess, in, a, in a funk back in what March, I guess, from the March to the end of the season, he didn't shoot the three very well when he had shot it unbelievably well. But, I mean, he's a far better shooter than, than Giannis is uh, in doing that. And I think where Giannis gets in trouble is when he tries to mess around shooting those three-point shots. I just don't <laughs> think that's a good shot for him to be taking. And the other thing I don't understand is why did let Giannis come up the floor and get a hole full of – put that sucker up down the court. Put a guard on him or something. Don't let him get ahead of steam and come running at the other big well, man. Absolutely. I mean, it's insane that they let him do that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's what happened against Phoenix. I know that Phoenix never adjusted to that. I would put yeah. somebody on him. I would never allow him to do that. Put a guard on him. Take the ball away from him. I mean, don't let this guy come up with a full head of steam. It's yeah. insane because nobody's going to guard him when he's doing that. was kind of like I like played against Dr. J. I always said, I'd love to guard him in a set offense. Okay, I, I'd love to do that. But, man, if he was coming out of a full head of steam, I'm saying, oh, please don't let me be a poster child have him jump over me and dunk. I mean, in fact, I would never let that happen because I'd just grab him before I'd let him do that. I mean, I wouldn't want to let that happen. But, I mean, that's the same thing with Giannis. Don't let him do that
1: absolutely right kevin your thoughts man who's winning the celtics uh nets that seems to be the most exciting series outside of warriors grizzlies yeah so celtics in seven i i
0: i had the bucks at the start of the playoffs advancing to the nba finals but a that was before chris middleton got hurt and b i i thought brooklyn was gonna beat the i mistakenly thought that brooklyn was gonna beat boston in seven games uh and and even though they got swept that was a very competitive series there's like one of the closest margins of series for a four-game sweep ever but so with the with boston still in the fold with how they've been playing since january 1st i think it i think the celtics it the east is the celtics to lose
2: mm. yeah
0: that's it's, it's I bet, yeah. you know what here's the
2: other thing though is that you know, Miami is still, I mean, for some reason, you know, Eric's got those guys and they play really well, and Butler, you know, played his butt off as well. So I yeah. I wouldn't count Miami out, especially now. I mean, they, they, yeah. now the biggest thing they have is what the old con job syndrome. This is Cyrus, I've talked about this for years. Right now, you know that Eric's bullshit, guys, just because he's out of the game and Embiid's not playing, you know. These guys have nothing to lose. They're gonna come out. We gotta be ready. And the guys are going, right, coach. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm telling you right now, there's not a chance in hell, a snowball's chance in hell that those players believe that they could lose to the Philadelphia 76ers without <laughs> Yeah. To Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and
1: then and then here it is. The the big prediction. This is a this is the, the most nervous I've seen the Bay Area and more specifically, Dub Nation be when it comes to the Warriors I think I think a lot of fans are nervously optimistic but they're nervous and they're talking about this Rick I, I didn't miss that I, I heard you uh I let that slip that you think the Warriors are going to the NBA finals um so I guess that's your prediction but how many games Rick do you think it's going to take for the Warriors to beat this Grizzly squad six or seven yeah I'm with you on that what about you uh Kevin I think
0: six um yeah I don't want to discredit what the Grizzlies did this year they are a tough team it is yes. one thing to to get past it a team that has that choked away three games and has won two playoff series i believe their entire organization's run and none with you know this current iteration it is another right. team it is another thing altogether to go up against a team that has won three nba titles and been to five straight finals with those core three guys plus Andre Iguodala all there
2: yeah, well, 100% with you on that one. That experience that they have, because I can tell you, I learned so much from my first experience with the Warriors when we took that great 76ers team to six games and unfortunately had to play getting my freaking ankle. They wouldn't even let me do it today, getting my ankle shot up before every game and at halftime to play. And uh, it, it, I learned so much is that when you don't have the experience of being in the most important games of your life, yeah, you can use up so much energy just with the anxiety of going to play. I mean, I I mean, I mean, really learned how to do that. And then the series when we wound up winning, I had been through it before. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes a huge difference. And a lot of guys have a tough time dealing with that. So I think that's a big advantage for the Warriors, having the core three guys with the experience they have, having won a championship without Kevin Durant, and knowing what to expect.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And Um, I I think game one is especially important for Golden State just because they have the rest advantage. And, like, Memphis had to travel late Friday night to get back home. Uh, So that's like a 40-hour turnaround or whatever for Memphis. And so, like, I think the Warriors got to jump on them game one. I agree.
2: They have to jump on them. And and usually the beginning is the one that it can settle back down again. But they they are at home. Yeah. And obviously – they showed that they can come back. I mean, they came back on the road a couple of yeah. times to do it, and they're not going to quit. So you know that this is a team that has resilience, yep. and and they're they're going to give it everything they have. So, but I, I this could be a very crucial game. I mean, they have to get one victory on the road, and if there's Correct. ever the opportunity to do it, game one would be the best opportunity for them.
1: Yep. I agree with both of you, um, and if anything, you know the Grizzlies actually made me more nervous before that Timberwolf series. The way I saw the the Grizzlies just turn the ball over, just uh, you know, let the Timberwolves take these huge leads and not take the early parts of the game so seriously, actually gave me assurance. I, it gave me more confidence that the Warriors will beat, the, beat this team. Rick, when you see the refs, like how did you ever handle the whistle? I feel like the whistle is being blown a ridiculous amount of times in these this, this year's playoffs. It, it kills the momentum. It kills the joy of watching the game with all these stoppages, and it hurts teams like the Warriors who like to push the ball – uh, because then now they have to face a set defense. Rick, how do you how do you handle the frustration of refs who are just whistle-happy like they've been this uh, postseason?
2: Well, I wish they had been that way when I was playing because they let us beat the hell out of one another. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for the whistle to be blowing. That's one of the biggest problems that I've seen uh, in, in, in the, <laughs> the NBA. I, I complain about it all the time and I have for decades. They let the game become too physical. In a way, hmm. I was happy to see him call it, but the thing is, Be consistent. I mean, it's the inconsistency that drives me insane. If you're going to call it one way at the start of the game, you call it that way at the end of the game. You don't call it one way at the start and change it at the end. And at the end game, at a close game, you don't let the physicality get even greater without the whistle being blown because players will adjust to what the officials are calling. Because if they know they're calling it close, you're not going to be as physical. But if they're not calling it close and you get away with stuff, you're going to keep doing it. And I just have a, I'm a big proponent of let the players determine the outcome of the game by how they play. And you just recall the game according to the rule book for the regular season, not this new playoff basketball that I hear everybody talk about. What the hell is that? The game is, is a rule book. You should be playing by the rule book all the time, whether it's the first game of the season or the seventh game of the championship series. But for some reason, the NBA and everybody, oh, playoff basketball, so now it gets physical and all. I just hate that because it's no (laughs) talent. It takes no skill to get more physical. You're giving an advantage to the less skilled player. That's why you need to watch and see how some players do. You really have to elevate your game in the playoffs because if you just play the same way you played in the regular season, the way they call the game normally in the playoffs, you are not going to be as productive because they let so much more go. There
1: you go. Kevin, any last thoughts?
0: I thought that uh, summed it up pretty well. I'm I'm looking forward. Can't wait for Game One. Going to be yeah. a really fun second round series. Uh, series not only Memphis Golden State, but I- I'm I'm interested in all of them. Really excited to see Luka Doncic in the first in the second round for the first time. Then, oh yeah,
2: let's talk about that real quick. I, yeah. were you shocked that they were able to Dallas was able to do what they did? I mean, I, I, I'm I would. I would think that the people in Utah are probably a little disappointed. I mean, I know Quinn Snyder. Well, my son, John, actually lived with him for a year <laughs> playing basketball. And when we was on Mercer Island, when I was there and had to go to LA to live for a year. And yeah, I, I was kind of shocked that that happened, especially when Luca wasn't even playing. Oh, they're I mean, done. My gosh.
1: The, the jazz are done. I mean, I mean and, and they're, they're, their GM is Danny Ainge now, and, and he is not known for, you know, being hesitant or reserved with roster changes and making moves. I mean, that guy pulls huge trades. I think they're going to blow that thing up. I mean, maybe Donovan Mitchell stays, but that roster is going to be very different next year. Yeah, what do you well, think? The Lakers,
2: the Lakers, the big thing I'm reading is the Lakers have shown a big interest in Quinn Snyder to come over and take over the Lakers.
1: Would you, you get wrong know, You me? see that
2: Shaq just came out and said, if they pay me $100 million for four years, I'll come coach him? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Um, and, some, and then one of, one of the rappers said he'd come. He'll be the coach, and he'll hire Shaq as an assistant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, kind of two different things like that that stuck out to me. Rick, first to your point, yeah, Luka Doncic didn't play the first three games of that series, and Dallas was up two one, and like yep. at that point, Jack, Utah's done. Like, yep, if like, you can't beat. Dallas two out of three times, especially after you won game one. You lose two in a row, but they don't have Luka Doncic. You don't have a chance. Um, two, like Utah has been very disappointing the last, I mean, last couple of years in the playoffs. But if you're consistently going to be a team that should reasonably expect to be in the second round and be like one of the top, in the top quarter of the NBA year after year, is that grounds for breaking a team up? I personally don't believe so. Hmm. Like, all right. Now, if, if it's unsalvageable between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, then okay, break it up. If it's not like, if you can consistently be top four, top five in the West every year and get yourself to the second round. And, and you know, there's so many kind of variables. You don't control injuries on your team, injuries on other teams. Like, I, I don't think just because, oh, you haven't won a title yet that you break it up. Like, only one team can win every year. Like, I don't think 29 teams, like, have royally screwed up every season. I, I just, and especially if you're a small market team like Utah, who are you going to get to come in necessarily? Like, all right, maybe with Dwayne Wade and the ownership group, maybe that changes things. But, like, if you're consistently going to win 50 to 55 games every year, you're a contender, and yeah. so all you want is a puncher's chance. And Bring in the
2: pieces. You just bring in the little pieces like yeah. San Antonio did for years, right? Yeah. Bring in the little guys. Bring in the veteran guy that's got the right attitude and, and do that and keep yourself up there competing all of the time. They could certainly do that in, uh, in Utah, and I, I agree 100% with you on that. Hey, you're talking to a perfect example that you don't break things up. We broke up a championship team and let our point guard go.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Which I
2: truly believe cost us the championship the next year.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Oh, I still can't believe. Yeah, I can't believe they did that. That's insane. I, I just, I guess the reason why I could see them making changes is because they did regress. They were the number one seed last year. And, uh, you know, they lost that Clipper series, which they shouldn't have lost. And then this year they regressed to the 4-5 the seed, the n the five seed, and then you lose to a Mavericks team without Luca. I mean, for most of that series, and he's hobbled when he comes back. I just don't know how you can keep that together. And just unless, unless being an average playoff team is your is something you're happy with, I just don't see how you can keep that together. But we'll see. My, yeah, we'll see. My, my, I guess my point is like to be
0: an average playoff team, you have to be a very good team, and, true. and, and so that's true. Like it's tough to be a very good team in the NBA. That's true. No, and that you, is very true. So, yeah.
2: And so what he, what what changes do they make, and where do they go while they're trying to rebuild?
1: Yeah, and you so keep Spider, like- right? You have to keep Spider. I, I don't I don't want to lose him unless he's really unhappy. But like I've heard, here's one weird little speculative report. There's no, there's nothing substantive to this, but I've heard reports that Wiggins and James Wiseman could be traded to the Jazz for Rudy Gobert. Now, I think that's a trade that could help both teams. You know, it gives gives the Jazz another wing, someone who can defend, someone who can give you 15-20 points a game. It certainly helps the Warriors, gives them the center they've been wanting for for I don't know how many years. But I've heard little things like that. I don't you know, but Danny Ainge, I mean, he's he made huge trades with the Celtics. I mean, and he cashed in and he created the team they have now. So, um that's what I'm basing my feeling on in terms of the Jazz making huge changes next okay, year. But. what do
2: you think? Do you think Rudy Gobert for that that, that trade would you would make it if you're the Warriors? Uh, I'm personally
0: not ready to give up on James Wiseman. Like he's there played he played 39 games and Hey, all right. The the advanced numbers weren't good. Like it, it was at best a, a bumpy season for him, but at the end of the day, for a kid who played three college games, he averaged 11 points and six rebounds without really knowing how to play the professional game. I think that, like, that shows that there's something there. And there were moments where you're like, this kid can be really good. And he's, what, 21 years old? And uh and so what,
2: 30-something? He's older. To go there has to be – Late twenties, 20s. 20s, early their thirty. I mean, he's yeah, he's so. in his
0: ninth season.
2: So twenty nine. He he turns 29. thirty this year in June. Yeah, thirty yeah. years old. So I, yeah, so, I, that's true. And the thing is, you the only thing being is that do you think, because Wiseman? It takes a while for big guys. You know, is yeah. he going to be able to come and produce enough? After see what happens this season for next season to keep him productive to keep them one of the best teams to have a chance to win or do you take a guy that you know what he can give you I mean he gives them something the Warriors haven't had in what in in a long time Uh, I mean so that's the big question but you're also giving up on Wiggins who I think has become a nice player yeah I mean like you say he's increased his rebounding you know shooting the ball I mean this is a guy that was highly touted who struggled and you know some guys take a little bit longer to make the adjustment and to learn how to do what you're supposed to do. So you wouldn't be giving up on two relatively young guys for an older guy. Do you want to do that and put everything in that basket, as opposed to hoping that a Wiseman can really improve? But what I like about Wiseman is his athleticism. I mean yeah. this guy runs like a freaking deer. And if he is really tutored properly, even to the point of, hey, if he can get you double digits, and points in rebounds on a consistent basis and learn to block some shots and be a rim protector and get out in that up-tempo game as a big man. I mean, he'll run some of the guys ragged, kind of like what Giannis does with, you know, with the bucks. It, it could be very interesting. So that's a very interesting situation to look at, but you're giving up two potentially really good players for quite a few years for a guy who doesn't have as many left and you're only getting one thing and one thing only. And if the Warriors small ball, Gobert, like even with, with with the Jazz, I mean, with, they they can't go small with him. Yeah, I mean he's a liability. Yeah, exactly. And the,
0: there are like times where like he could be played off the floor, Rudy Gobert, as great as right. he is defensively, and, and like to to your point, Rick, like Wiseman can can play that up and down game. Right. Rudy Gobert, it's just it's not in his DNA. And no, I so, agree. Like I just I I don't think it. I think Wiseman, you know, assuming he becomes what he can become, I think he fits well, a lot better.
2: Let me let me ask you something. Did you hear anything? I've been saying this, and I've, nobody's come out from the Warriors and said it. How in the hell can you miss a whole season with a cartilage operation?
0: Great I, question. I, I don't know medicine and
2: exactly – <laughs> I had uh, cartilage, I had cartilage operations than. where I had to get cut open. It wasn't arthroscopic stuff and everything. And, you know, and had a knee that was like, you know, 70% of what it should have been for 10 years of my career or more. I just don't understand. Guys are back sometimes in 5, 7, 10, 12 days playing. And he missed, like, the entire season, basically. with a, I mean, just at least tell us that there were some complications. Something else happened. But to just say that he's still recovering from a cartilage operation just doesn't make <laughs> any sense to me.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, he, he did have to have a second procedure in December. And so that, that set things Oh Yeah. But, that,
2: but yeah. So you go in and you trim off a little thing yeah. that maybe wasn't there, whatever. It's a cartilage for God's sake. It's not as ligament. It's not as cruciate. I mean, it's a cartilage. Okay,
1: it's, yeah. a, it's weird, Rick. It is weird. I don't know what to say about that. It's, let's I just hope, hope he comes hope back he next gets, year.
2: I hope he gets well and he's able to come back yeah. and see what he's able to do for the team for next year and then see who they add to the equation, because that's the key element there. And that's what I think San Antonio did so well for so many years. Bringing in the right people to be able to fill those little roles on the team, experience and things of that nature, and that's what kept him so competitive for so many years. Yeah, you got it right. Well, well we I'm appreciate your taking the six. time, Kevin.
1: Oh, hey, yeah. thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, and and uh, Kevin, anything you want to promote, Rick? Uh, you got a few things you endorse. No, and promote, no, but...
2: Let Kevin do it. He's okay. Oh, uh, yeah, could go, go for
1: Warriors
0: Roundtable ninety five seven. The game with Gary St. Jean every week until uh, the Warriors season is done. Not sure oh, nice. what day it's gonna be, but six to seven p.m. Uh, hosting. It wait, wait, Gary. wait, wait!
1: Hold on, hold on, I didn't, I, I missed it. You, you're doing a roundtable on the game with a uh, uh, Gary St. Jean.
0: Yeah, yeah. Been doing it, been doing it
1: all season, and uh,
0: we're doing it through the playoffs. So, who, who else? Is it just you two, or is there like a host yeah. and then you two? Yeah, just uh, Gary and I, and we take calls and read texts and talk about everything Golden State.
2: Is that radio Golden or TV? TV?
0: Uh, radio, ninety-five point oh, yeah. seven. The game,
2: ninety-five seven. Well, you did say the game. Yeah, I heard you there.
1: Yep, yep good stuff man and rick you got some uh some clients that you endorse shoot Oh weiser.
2: yeah well i mean you know Medisleaf, m-e-d-i-c-i-l-e-a-f Medisleaf.com. cannabinoid stuff I, I live with this stuff it's just the greatest stuff ever and uh, the stories are just remarkable so give it a try put the code 24 in there to get a nice discount and then for my ghost sleeves guys down in the uh, south bay area ghost sleeves s-l-e-e-v-e-s uh, amazing technology. I tried to help the Warriors and get it to, to get Draymond to do it during his recovery, and I don't even know if they ever used it. But I had to send a bunch of stuff over there, and I wanted Clay to wear it because I know it works. I use it when I play pickleball all the time, and you know, I have no cartilage in my knee. It's very arthritic, and it felt so good that I actually wear it on my good knee as well every time I play pickleball. It's, it's Rick amazing great recovery well, it's got kinesio tape built into it as well. It's a hell of a product. In fact, a guy was just playing in the in the U.S. Open Pickleball Championships this past week down here in Florida, and one of the guys that I play with a lot, he finally was there. He said, "Hey, you see what I got on?" And he, he said, "I can't believe it took me this long. You told me about these. I finally got them." And he said, "They're on." I said, "What do you think?" He said, "Unbelievable." He's like, he I, "I said." He said, "I've tried everything. These are the best I've had." So, sleeves.com <laughs> and if you put RB twenty four rb small rb 24 you get a really nice discount on that product as well uh so there's just a lot of things there that you can uh, you can check out and uh yeah i got a lot of things you know go gyv i mean anyway i just i got too much time i could take on i'm busier now than i've ever been in my entire life i'm doing so many things and just you know blessed to have my health and you know, it's so sad, I you know, say for you Raiders fans who might be out there, if you're fans of the Bay Area sports teams. I mean, Daryl LaMonica passed away. He was a friend of mine. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, he didn't suffer. I mean, he just woke up in the morning. His wife, Mary, went and fixed breakfast, brought him back to breakfast to him, and he was gone. So, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that happens when you get a little bit older. You guys, fortunately, don't have to deal with that, but it's not an easy thing. And prayers, please, for Clifford Ray who almost died a couple of weeks ago. What's hey, I, yeah. What's the latest on that? He, yeah. got, a, he got a sepsis in, infection. Thanks to, you know, the wonderful Boston Celtics and Danny age who didn't take care of Clifford properly He wound up getting mercy in the Celtics locker room when he was a coach there, lost the toe. And now he got infected. He had to lose more toes and thank God that they uh, were able to save him because the sepsis almost killed him and he had to get oh more God. toes. To and now he's in rehab, you know, having to learn how to walk again without the, t- you know, all the toes that he should have had. And um, but he's he's doing better. So, you know, those of you who are into praying, please say a prayer that Clifford gets well soon. I
1: already, pray, I already prayed once. I'll pray again. I was I was actually about to ask you what's what's the latest. So that's a crazy story that they, I don't know, Kevin, if you're familiar with that, when Clifford Ray was the assistant coach with the Celtics the year they won the championship, their last championship back in 2008. Uh, like he got, Clifford got screwed, right? They only paid him like half. Of what assistant oh yeah, coaches. no, that
2: was Danny Ainge. I mean, and Doc Rivers didn't come to his defense. I mean, it's like I told people and I said, I don't care. And I hope Doc hears it. I, I have no respect for him whatsoever. I don't know how you could be a head coach making $5 million a year and your management doesn't give your assistant staff, everybody a full share of playoff money and you get them get a half a share when if it weren't for Clifford Ray, there's no way that Doc Rivers even wins a championship because they never get Kevin Garnett because Clifford Ray took Jefferson and made him into a better player like he did with all the big guys he's had. Mm. And they made the trade for him. And then he also helped him with with Big Baby. He also helped him with Perkins to make him better. He's the one that brought P.J. Brown in and suggested to do that when they won the championship. And for two years, he gets half a playoff share. And then you tell this guy, who's so responsible for the success that you had, in September that you're not rehiring him. Yeah, then that's not nice. And he, got, and he had some sort of – he lost a toe because of some well, he dirty got, he, got in the, he got Mercer in the locker room. And, you know, they, I mean, it's it, it's just – it's horrible the way that they treated Jesus. Clifford. And then and then he didn't even let him sit on the bench. He had to be one of those guys sitting behind the bench. I mean, seriously. He has such a rapport and relationship with players. The players love him. And every place he's gone. I mean, look what he did for the two Warriors guys. He made them multimillionaires. Donal Foyle, right? Yeah. Donald Foyle. Yeah. Uh, Clifford helped him. And Eric Dampier. Wind up getting huge multi-million dollars contract. Why? Who made him a better player? Clifford, because of the way he worked them and the things he taught them. Because Clifford got as much out of his ability as any player in the history of the game, and he has a litany of what he's done with other players. Where the first the first time that that Chris Webber really made some was Clifford was coaching him back in Washington. Helped yeah. him a lot. He got uh, Boogie Cousins. Helped Boogie Cousins when he was at Sacramento. I mean, is it just, I I rest my, and then he also had a guy, Roy Tarpley, when he was with Dallas and when he wasn't even a coach, just working in their facility, he got Roy Tarpley to be a freaking all-star player. And then they took him away from working with him and Tarpley wound up getting on drugs and screwed his whole career up. Yeah. And I rest my case on this last one. This is like crazy. When he went and coached with Butch Beard in New Jersey, he got Sean Bradley getting triple doubles at the end of the season, points, rebounds, block shots. I called up John Calipari when he took over the job for Butch. They got mm-hmm. rid of Butch, and I said, "John, whatever you do, you want to keep Clifford Ray." He didn't keep Clifford Ray. Sean Bradley, after getting triple doubles with Clifford, was waived out of the league.
1: It, what, what what is the reason? Like, is, I, he seems like he's such a nice guy. Is it just people taking
2: advantage of that? Is it? I mean, what do you yeah, think? The reason? I think so. I mean, he was. He, I mean, he was one of the lowest paid. He was the lowest paid guys on the staff. That doesn't it's make sense. Crazy. It's if, just, any it's journalists,
1: if any journalists are listening to this, that's a story right there. You know, like that deserves to be a story that deserves to be told because, I mean, I, I have a very brief experience with Clifford from the time he came on here, but he seemed like the nicest individual ever. And, and just to hear all this wrongdoing geared toward him is just doesn't
2: sit right with me. So
1: well, if you saw a journalist
2: on down the street with you on a dark night, you probably might be a little leery because he's very <laughs> especially as I big mean- as he got. But the thing is, is he's like a little puppy dog. Everybody loves Clifford. You know the show, Everybody Loves Raymond Now. Everybody loves Clifford. That's,
1: that's <laughs> All right. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Rick, it's always a pleasure doing these shows with you, sir. And and thank you to everyone listening and watching. Thank you. All righty. Take care, everybody.
0: Right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe.